Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, as we come expecting to hear your words of wisdom, your words of righteousness, your words of instructions, Father God. We come waiting and expecting attentively, Father God, to hear your words. And Father, we open up our hearts to receive your instructions and your direction, Father God. And we thank you for being here, Lord. And Lord, I yield myself to you to use me as you will, Father God, to speak your very words. Lord, let it not be my words, but your words only, Father God. And let your words come out with simplicity, with clarity, and with understanding. Father, because we want to know your perfect will, Lord God. We want to come to understand your ways. And so, Father, we thank you for being here tonight. We thank you for your Holy Ghost that is in me to express yourself, Father God, uh, all that you want to say tonight to us. And Lord, for this, we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me share a story with you. Uh, one Sunday, this pastor of a church of about 400 people had, gets up in the pulpit like he always does every Sunday morning. And this one, uh, one particular Sunday, he asked a question to his congregation. And that first question he asked was, how many of you would love to please God with everything that you have? Want to please God more than anything. And every hand went up. Then a second question he had asked the congregation was, how many of you believe that the Lord is pleased with you? And out of a church of 400 people, only two hands went up. And one of them was an 11-year-old boy and the other one was a 10-year-old girl. Now that says a lot about the church today. Because I believe that every Christian has a desire, a sincere desire to please God. But lack the willingness to do what it takes to please Him. And tonight I want to challenge you through the Word of God. Because I don't know, there could be a number of reasons why we have a hard time, a difficult time pleasing Him. Sometimes we think we're pleasing God. And you know, we can come up with a list of do's and don'ts. You know, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to go to church regularly. I'm going to come to prayer on Tuesday nights. I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do good things. I'm going to make myself available. We can also list the things of don'ts that we know that will please God. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But you know, God is not looking for someone who's going to fulfill a list of do's and don'ts. God's not looking for performance. He's looking for a people who has a heart to love him, to adore him, to honor him for who he is. You know, I would want my children to love me, to honor me, and to please me because they appreciate me as their father. Rather than having to please me because they feel there's something they have to do. Or to please me because they feel like they're going to get something from it. But God's looking for a people who want to honor him and respect him and please him with everything he, they do in their lives. And it's unfortunate that the church today falls short of that. And again, tonight, I want, to, I want to challenge your faith. I want to challenge you right where you are. How many of you have a microwave at home? How many of you love your microwave? How many of you like your microwave? How many of you believe that your microwave is the most convenient tool or appliance that you can ever have? 
I mean, you come home, you're tired, you don't feel like cooking. You're in a hurry, you got to be somewhere, someplace, and so you go into the refrigerator, you get some leftovers, you pop it in the microwave, and you got a hot dinner in a matter of minutes. That, to me, is pretty cool. That's pretty convenient. And it's nice to have a microwave because it's so convenient. How many of you think about your microwave? How many of you drive to work thinking, oh, I can't wait to get home. I want to get into that microwave. And How many of you go to bed thinking about your microwave? How many of you get up thinking about your microwave? How many of you are so mindful of your microwave that you just can't wait to go home and put something in it? No, that's ridiculous. Nobody does. Except when it's about time to use it, right? That's when you think about your microwave. Isn't it unfortunate that many Christians treat God like a convenient appliance? The only time they think about him is when they need him. And when they've got good use of him, they put him on the shelf and forget him. You know, it's nice to have a nice appliance like that. It's so convenient because it's always there for you to use whenever you need it. But you know, God is not an appliance that you can use whenever you need it. He's a God that looks and desires for relationship. Imagine treating your spouse like that. Always thinking about her when you need something. Always thinking about him when you need something. But then once you fulfill your needs, once she or he fulfills your need, then you sort of forget about them, put them aside. Or it's convenient that they're there when you need them. But when you don't need them, you have this assurance in knowing that I know it's there if I need it. Do you think that that pleases God? You think that God finds pleasure in being used like a, like a, a convenient appliance? I don't think so. It should be every desire, every goal of every believer to live their lives to please God. How many of you agree with that? Amen. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hand, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For if we are in this tabernacle, for we who are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us or unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, let me stop here. Paul was simply talking about the assurance of the resurrection. He had this confidence in knowing that when he dies, he knows that he's not just going to be some floating, dismembered spirit, but he's going to be clothed upon with an eternal body, one heavenly body. 
And so he was reassuring them and encouraging them that there will be a resurrection and we'll all receive new bodies when we leave this earth or this earthly body or earthly suit. And so that's what he was doing. And that's what he was encouraging them to do. But look what he says in verse 9. Having said all that, he says this, Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, let me... uh, Bring to your attention two particular words here. He says, wherefore we labor. The word labor is in, in the Greek literally means to strive or to aim or to make your ambition or your goal. So what Paul is say, simply saying is this. Knowing that I have this confidence that when I leave this earth, I'm going to be in a far greater place, which I look forward to. In the meantime, I'm going to make every effort. I'm going to strive. I'm going to make it my ambition, my goal, my aim. To do what? To be accepted. The word accepted in the Greek literally means to be well-pleasing. So Paul made up his mind that while he's here on earth, or even when he's not in the earth, but in another body, which is a spiritual body, he makes it his effort, his uh, uh, ambition, his aim to do everything in his life that is pleasing to God. By the way, the title of my message is Aim to Please. And so that's what Paul is saying. He wants to make it his ambition. It should be every believer's ambition and goal. To live your life pleasing to God. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question. Because everyone pleases somebody sometime. We're either pleasing ourselves or we're pleasing somebody else. But the question is, are we pleasing God? Ask yourself this question. What are my ambitions? What are my goals? What am I aiming towards? Are my ambitions to make sure that I live my life that is acceptable and pleasing to God? Or am I making my ambition or my aim to please myself? And that's a question you have to ask yourself. Again, I'm here to challenge you so that when you examine yourself and ask yourself these questions... You want to be able to be in a place where, you know what, Lord, I want to make my ambition to please you. When I say living your life to please him, I'm talking about how you speak, how you act, how you treat others, how you think. You know, sometimes we forget about our thought life. But we need to please God even in our thought life. How we dress. How we carry ourselves. How we behave. You know, it's, God is, one thing about God is that he loves us. How many would believe that? He loves us. And you know what? He, we are well pleasing to him because we're his children. The Bible tells us that. But it's one thing to be well-pleased because we have a relationship with him as his child. But it's another thing to be pleasing to him 
in our behavior, in our conduct. You know, we can, we can love God and God, we can be well-pleasing to God because we're children. But yet we can still displease him with our actions, with our conduct, and with our behavior. <clears throat> you know, um, Pastor John and Pastor Ray had, had been preaching about sanctification and separated life. And, uh, and it requires that kind of a lifestyle in order to please God. Being separate from the things that causes you to sort of stray away from God. Because when you stray away from God, then you're not in a place to please him. But we want to be able to please God in every area of our lives. In everything that we do. In our speech, in our manners, everything. We want to make sure that we are pleasing to God. Now I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There must be a burning ambition in our hearts. And you know what? If your heart is not as ambitious as you want it to be, I want to encourage you that you can still have that ambition. You can still have that burning desire to want to please God. And sometimes we try and we try and we still fall short. But that's where we have the grace of God to enable us to be able to please him. We'll talk about that a little later. But our primary goal, above all other goals, is to please him in all things. What did I say? First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay, let me find that. I know it's here somewhere. I read it this morning. Listen to what Paul says. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Now listen to what Paul is saying. First of all, he was reminding them of the instruction that he had given them about how to walk and how to please God. You know, whenever you hear the the term walk, it always refers to in the Bible as a lifestyle or a way of life. And so Paul, at some point, had taught them and instructed them how they should walk or live and how they should please God, which tells us that we all need to be instructed on how to please God. And so he goes on to say he exhorted them and encouraged them and urged them that they ought to walk and to please God. And he says, and this is what you've done. But he says, now I want you to do more and more. In other words, I want you to excel. I want you to go beyond and above the expected measure. You remember when Jesus had fed the 5,000? Actually, he fed more than 5,000 because the Bible says 5,000 men in addition to the women and children. And so God only had five loaves and two fishes. And he told his disciples, I want you to take this and I want you to feed them. Now imagine the disciples having to feed each and every one of those people. We're talking about thousands. Five loaves and two fishes. And it was a great miracle because the Bible says that they were all filled and they did all eat. They were all satisfied. 
But what's even more miraculous was the fact that Jesus says, I want you to collect the leftovers. The leftovers are the, ex- the, uh, the, the, uh, the exceeding abundant. Something that they did not expect. I mean, first of all, you're feeding over 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fishes. And it's a miracle that you're able to feed a thousand, several thousand people with that. But yet to expect leftovers on top of that, that's the, ex, the, the, ex, uh, the abundance, the above measure. And so Paul is telling us that we are to take it to another level in our walk, in our pleasing God. In other words, however you're walking, what manner of life you're living, if you're, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, God is saying, I want you to take it to another level. I want you to go above and beyond what you expect. Not only that, but I also want you to please God in that way as well. So I want, I, I'm sharing this verse because I'm showing you how important it is to please God. It's amazing how many times the word please is found in the Bible. But it goes to show you how important that word is. And how important it is for us to have to please him. You know, we were all created for his pleasure. Revelations 4.11 tells us that we were all created For the pleasure of God. Isn't that wonderful to know that he created me. For his pleasure. So that he can enjoy me. And I can enjoy him. You know it's a two way relationship. But as I said before. God is well pleased because we're his children. Go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12. First Samuel chapter 12. <clears throat> Beginning verse 22, it says this. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake because he has what? Please the Lord to make you his people. Psalm 149, verse 4, you don't have to turn there. Psalm 149, verse 4 says this, For the Lord take pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the meek with salvation. And as I said before in Revelation 4, 11, says, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So I want you to see how we are well pleasing to God because he created us for his pleasure. But we also were designed to live a life that pleases him as well. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I mean Philippians, that's what I said. You guys are awake. You guys are pretty sharp. Philippians chapter 2. one of my favorite verses. <clears throat> Verse 13, it says this, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do what? Of his good pleasure. Isn't it wonderful to know that God had put that in us, enabling us to do that very thing to please God. You know, again, sometimes we fall short of doing so. And we can do whatever we can and do the very best that we can to please God. But sometimes we fall short. 
And sometimes we need that extra help, that extra enablement to, to get to a place and to excel and to go far above that God wants us to go in order to please him. And the Bible says that he's given us that. He's given us the ability to do that. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Beginning verse 20. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is what? Well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So again, we have been equipped to do just that, to please him in a way that he wants us to please him. Now, why is it so important to do that? And I think this is very important that we need to understand. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter Now, as I said in verse 9, he said, Paul made it his ambition and his aim, whether in the body or in the spiritual body, to be well-pleasing unto the Lord. And his motivation and his goal was because he knew that one day he would stand before the Lord himself and be evaluated for everything that he's done on this earth in his body. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear... Before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he had done. Whether it be good. Or whether it be bad. So isn't it interesting. That Paul. Who understood that when he left his body. He was going to stand before God. And have his new spiritual body. But he also knew that he would have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As we all will as well. To be evaluated for everything we've done in our bodies. Our motives, our attitudes, our speech, everything that we've ever done in this body. It's interesting that this body is a very important piece. You know, I love my car. Of course, when I first bought it, my first, well actually what I really wanted was an SUV. But because it was beyond my, my financial limit, I settled for the second best thing and that's my Toyota Camry. It's a four-cylinder. It's got great performance. It's very good on gas. I love it. And what I love most about my car is it's very reliable. When I get up in the morning, even on a cold day like this, I know it's going to start right up and take me where it needs to go. You know, it's good to have a car that you can rely on. There were years when I had a car that I didn't know whether it was going to start or not. There were times when I knew that car wasn't going to start at all. And there were times when I, when I had a car where I would drive, but it would sputter, 
install. And then sometimes I had a car where it would drive to a certain distance and then just die. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Our bodies are like vehicles. And there are some Christians whose body or vehicle (laughs) sputters and stalls and just can't get anywhere. And there are those whose body or vehicle are like cars that go a certain distance but then just conks out and it can't go any further. And there are some vehicles, some people, some believers who just won't start at all. There are some people, believers, who are just not reliable. And we have to understand that this body is God's vehicle. And God needs a body that can be relied upon. God needs a body that he knows that he can just start her up and know that it's going to go where he wants it to go. Go as far as he needs him to go. And not worry about stalling, stopping, sputtering, or just not starting. Which vehicle are you? How can we get this body? You have to understand, too, that this body is God's means of expressing himself. It's his way of expressing his love, his joy, his peace, his strength, his power, his grace, his mercy, You know, the Bible says, let your light shine so that the world can see your good works. Well, the only way that's possible is through Christ who lives in us. And this body is that vehicle that God wants to use to do what he needs to do. Go to Romans chapter 12 real quick. Romans chapter 12. Very familiar verse. Beginning verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your vehicles as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now the word acceptable is the Greek word for well-pleasing. And so what God, what Paul is saying is that we are to present our bodies or our vehicles as a living sacrifice for God to be able to get in, start us us up, and then move on. And you know, you have to understand too is that God wants to take us places. He wants us to take us as far as we can go, as far as he can take us, as far as we allow him to take us. But we got to be willing vehicles for him to be able to get in there and take us where he needs to go. What kind of vehicles are you? Are you the kind of vehicle that he can rely on? Are you the kind of vehicle that he can just, at a moment's notice, start you up and say, I need to go here? And are you willing to allow him to take you where he needs to take you? And you know, sometimes we might go through bumpy roads, and it's not always a pleasant experience going through bumpy roads or driving where there's a lot of potholes. That's not a pleasant experience. But if you're willing to Allow God to take you where you need to go. You know, the fact that you're offering and presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, well-pleasing to him, that's what pleases God. Someone who's willing to say, Lord, 
here I am. Do what you will. Do what you have to do in my life. But once again, let me ask you this question. Where are you at tonight? Where are you spiritually? And you know, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just trying to bring you to a place where I, I want to challenge you. I want to stir you up. I want you to bring, bring you to a place where we all need to be. Because we want to be pleasing to God in everything that we do. And we want to be willing vehicles for him to be able to get in us and take us where he needs to go. You know, I said earlier that I'm looking forward in seeing what God is going to do in my life so that I can testify. I can testify for what he's done, but I want to testify also for what he's going to do. But again, it all depends on where we are. Are we at a place where we can be obedient to God and just be pleasing in everything we do in life? Even the simple things. I believe that the church today has become very lackadaisical. And it's a sad thing. And in watching television, I have a hard time even watching Christian stations. Because it's sort of gotten away from what God is really trying to do. And I think that we need to come to a place where we have to humble ourselves and realize we're not all that. And without God, we can't do anything. But we need to yield our members. As Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 says, yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Not to yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Those are things that will not please God and those are things that will not Get you to where you need to go. Amen. So going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now understand that the judgment seat of Christ are for all believers. So if we find ourselves before the Lord Jesus, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But what we receive will determine how we lived our life on this earth. See, Paul knew that he was going to get a reward because in 2 Timothy, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. He says, there awaiting for me is a crown of righteousness. Glory to God. So he already knew he was going to get his reward because he understood the kind of life he had to live. And he was a perfect example of that. Jesus himself was a man who did not please himself. But he went about pleasing God. The Bible says he did always those things that please him. And you know, the word always is not uh, unreasonable to ask of us. The word always means in all occasions, at all times, that we are to please him. That's how Jesus lived his life. Pleasing God at every turn, every moment of his life. And that's not an unreasonable thing to ask of us. And again, as I mentioned to you earlier, we have that ability because it is God that is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we've all been designed to do that. So what is stopping us from pleasing God? What is stopping us from being willing to please him in everything? Well, we are the one that's preventing ourselves from doing just that. We can be a stubborn people. And how many of you have been through situations in your life where God was directing you one way but you chose to go another way 
Can I see any hands there? <laughs> it's okay, you know, we're, we're among family here. We won't tell anybody. We've all been there. But if we can line ourselves up with God and learn to just do what he says, waking up in the morning with this ambition, Lord, not my will, but your will. And going to bed, Lord, I thank you for the day you've given to me. And Lord, I'm looking forth for another day. You know, that takes work. That takes some discipline. That takes effort. But Paul says, I labor, I strive, I make it my ambition, I make it my aim, I make it my goal. That's the attitude that you and I need to have and develop. To make it our goal to please God in every area of our lives. Amen. So we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says we're going to appear. The word appear is an interesting word because it means to be revealed openly and publicly. That means that each one of us is going to stand before God or the Lord Jesus and be evaluated publicly. Every secret, every motive, every action that we've done in our body is going to be revealed openly. Now imagine that. Now, the good thing about that is that we will enter into the kingdom of heaven regardless. But there are many of us who are going to suffer loss. If, if everything we've done in life has eternal value, we're going to be rewarded for it. But if everything we've done in life has no eternal value, it's just going to be burnt before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to suffer loss. But we will enter into the kingdom of heaven but I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that when I stand before the presence of God, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because when I hear those words, then I know that my life was pleasing to him. I know that my father was happy with me in the life that I lived. And see, and that's basically what it is. It's just making our father happy. Have you ever tried making someone happy? Have you ever tried making someone happy? Well, it's the same way with God. Just making him happy. Now, there are some people that you try making happy, and it's just so hard to make them happy. But with God, is a very simple thing. You know, the Bible says that, that the angels of heaven rejoice for one person who enters into the kingdom of heaven. I believe that God is right there in the midst of all those angels rejoicing with him. Because... He's very pleased as well. So what pleases God? You know, the story about Enoch, that's an interesting person. I mean, there's not much written about Enoch. But the Bible does say in Genesis 5 and 24 that he walked with God and he was not. In other words, one day he was alive, and the next day he was gone. Hebrews 11 verse 5 sort of elaborates, saying that by faith he was translated but I like what it says. For before he was translated, he had this testimony that he pleased God. In the 365 years that Enoch lived, the only testimony that he has was the fact that he pleased God. That's it. But you know what? That's a great testimony. If that's all the testimony I have in my life, if that's the only thing that's written on my tombstone or in my obituary, I'm happy. Because I know that it pleased God. I know that my father was pleased with me. And you know, it was good enough for Enoch that he got translated 
bypassing death and into the presence of God. But I love it because all he did was please God. That's all that he did. And how did he do that? Well, the Bible says by faith. And Hebrews eleven six says, for by faith, it is impossible to please God without faith. Right? It is impossible to please God without faith. Enoch demonstrated a life of faith. He walked with God. So he had such a relationship with God that God was pleased with him. And it's interesting too because in Jude, look over to Jude. Go to the book of Jude. Again, nothing much is said about Jude, but except the fact that he pleased God. But if you study the scriptures closely, you can find a little bit something about Enoch. In verse 14, it says this, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings, of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Now, apparently he was prophesying of the coming of the Lord. And I didn't know that he had the gift of prophecy, but certainly he did. He prophesied that the Lord will come with 10,000 of his saints. And look what he said in verse 15. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. What he was simply saying is that when the Lord Jesus comes with 10,000 of his saints, he's going to come to execute judgment against all ungodliness. Which said something about Enoch, that his life was not an ungodly life, but a life of godliness. For him to look and, and see how he recognized the ungodliness and how Christ will come to judge that, tells me that he lived a life that was godly. And so we understand how he walked with God. He walked a godly life. He walked a life of believing and trusting and relying upon God. And this was before the covenant ever took place. So imagine that. But yet what we have is we have a new covenant, which is based on better promises. And we have a God that demonstrated his tremendous grace through his son Jesus and brought us to this place of right standing with him, calling us his child. What a benefit that we have of knowing that we have this standing in this relationship with God. So why shouldn't we live a life that pleases him? Why can't we honor God for who he is and what he's done and show our appreciation and our adoration? God is worthy of our, of all honor and all glory. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> so we know that offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and well-pleasing to Him, that's what pleases God when we're willing to surrender everything, our very life to Him. Something else also that pleases God. And of course, you know, the Bible is filled with all kinds of 
ways that we can please him. And the one, one of the things I love about the word of God is that there's no guessing involved. It's very clear, very, very precise. In uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and in verse 16, it says this. But do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. In other words, if we live a life just doing good and willing to communicate or willing to give. You know, we have a lot of people that are hurting today. Especially those in the body of Christ. And the Bible tells us that we are to be generous givers. The Bible tells us that we are to help bear the burdens of those who are weak. The Bible also tells us that we are to look out for one another. But have we become a, a church that sort of closed our hearts and become hardened? When we turn the, the other, uh, turn our, our face away from those that are in need? The Bible tells us that if, if it's in the power in our hands to help somebody, then we should do it. And the Bible says that what pleases God is that we can do good to them. Be able to share what we have. Be able to communicate with them. By that I mean giving. Those are things that please God. You know, in Matthew chapter, I believe chapter 24, 25, Jesus says that when I was, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And the disciple says, Lord, when, when do we do this? When do we see you doing this? He says, unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto them, you've done it unto me as well. And I think that we've fallen short of that. I think that we become so full of ourselves that we forget that there are others in the body of Christ that need you just as much. You know, that's why I say that our bodies is God's way of expressing his love and his expressing his, his, his grace. But if your vehicle is not willing to go the extra mile and go to, to where God wants to take you, by sharing with others and doing good for others or giving your time for others. Are you really pleasing him? Do you think that he's well pleased? Romans 15 verses 1 through 3, you don't have to turn there, says this. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just to please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ, who is the example, did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, he is pleased with those who look out for others and not for themselves. Philippians chapter 2 says the same thing where he tells us that we are to look out for others and look at, uh, to esteem others better than ourselves and always look for the best interests of others and not just ours. These are things that please God when, our, when we take our eyes off ourselves and focus on somebody else. And you know, isn't it interesting that when you take your eyes off yourself, it's amazing what God will show you. It's amazing what you will see if you allow God to show you. But it's very hard to see what God wants to show you if you're too busy looking elsewhere. It's very hard for you to see the things that God wants you to see if you're only looking at yourself. 
Jesus says, I do always those things that please him. That should be our testimony. Something else that God that pleases God and makes him happy. Go to Psalm 147. Psalm 147 and verse 11. I'm going to read this from the Amplified Version. It says that the Lord takes pleasure in those who reverently and worshipfully fear him, in those who hope in his mercy and loving kindness. Go quickly to Proverbs 16. Proverbs chapter 16. Feels like I'm the only one turning pages here. Am I the only one that brought a Bible here? Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. The last part of verse 6. Well, let me just read the whole verse. It says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. One of the things that pleases God is that when we walk in reverence of Him, when we walk in godly fear, and the Bible says that when we walk in godly fear, we depart from evil. When we have a reverence for God, we don't want to do anything that's going to offend God. We're not going to want to be in places that we shouldn't be. We don't want to be around people that we shouldn't be around. We don't want to do the things that we know we shouldn't do because we have this reverence for the Lord. And when you walk in that godly fear and that respect, that's what pleases him. He looks at, down at you and says, okay, there's an opportunity for him to go in different directions there's an opportunity for you to be around people that you shouldn't be around. But you made a decision, no, I'm not going to do that because I love my God. I want to please my God. And you see, that's the attitude that we need to have every day. Always being mindful of him. Because you, you understand this, God is with you wherever you go. And, you, and, and there's nothing that you say, do that you cannot hide. I mean, you cannot hide anything from God. Everything is out in the open as far as God is concerned. You may not know what I'm thinking, and I may not know what you're thinking, but God does. And if we think that we can go in life thinking thoughts that we shouldn't be thinking, you'll need deceiving yourself because God sees it. And the Bible says we're all going to stand before him, and all the things, all the secret things are going to be out in the open. So this is a reason for us to be to walk reverently and to fear God. Not to be terrified of God, but to walk with respect. Because when we do that, we depart from evil. We'll have nothing to do with evil or ungodliness. But we'll choose to walk the right path. Let me talk about the benefits real quick before we close. And of course, there's so many benefits, and we don't have time to get into all of them. But one of the benefits of pleasing God is found in Proverbs. Again, you're in first, uh, chapter 16, look in verse 7. When a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. 
a perfect example of that is remember the story of uh, uh, Jacob and Esau? Remember Jacob, the deceiver, and how he robbed the blessings from, from him and took his birthright? And because of that, Esau became so angry with Jacob that he wanted to get back at him. And rightly so, because he was cheated. And so, Jacob's parents said, you know what, you need to get out of here. Why don't you hang out with your uncle's place until he cools down? Well, it turned out that Jacob ended up staying longer than he, than he expected. But when he finally got out from his uncle's place after 20 plus years, and on his way back home, he heard that Esau was around the corner. He heard Esau was around And so he made preparations because he became afraid because he remembered that Esau was still angry with him. And of course, if you know the story, the way it turned out when Esau saw him, didn't retaliate, but embraced him. They both cried on each other's shoulders and they loved on each other and they went their separate ways. See, when you please God, God can turn things around. He can make your enemies at peace with you. You know, when you say enemies, well, I don't have an enemy, but maybe you have a terrible boss. Maybe you have a boss that doesn't like you. You have a boss that's constantly getting on your case. But when you're pleasing to God in all things, he knows how to turn that around. As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody who was saying how they had a terrible time with this boss. It's a new boss trying to change things around. And this boss was very unkind, was not a people person, was very rude, disrespectful. And this person was having a hard time with this boss. And we talked and we, you know, we shared. I said, well, I mean, just continue to love. Just continue to walk in love and just pray and see God and just trust God. Well, you know what? This person did just that. This person did everything that this person should have done. And it was well-pleasing to God. And then when I asked the person, how are things going at work? She said, it's amazing. The boss, it was a complete turnaround. Boss was wonderful. This boss was respectful. The boss was able to, I mean, he, this person was able to talk with the boss and have a real serious conversation, a real conversation. It wasn't condescending at all. And everything was fine. See, when you please God, God can change things around and can move people's hearts. Go to 1 John chapter 3 and uh, I'll close with this. 1 John chapter 3. I'll wait for the few of you who have your Bibles to get there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 says this. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what? The things that are pleasing in his sight. So when we're well pleasing to God, we open ourselves up to receiving that which we ask of him. He says, because we keep his commandments and do everything that pleases him. He gives us what we ask. And so, and again, I can continue on and on with more benefits. We just don't have the time for that. When Solomon prayed to God, he had a chance to pray and and, and ask God for riches and wealth, but instead he asked for wisdom. 
not just wisdom, just any wisdom, but wisdom to rule his people. And God was so pleased with that prayer that said, you know what? You had a chance to ask me for the world, but you chose to ask the one thing that pleases me. And because of that, I'm going to give you all the wealth and all the power and everything else. So it, it, it's beneficial that we please God in everything that we do. And develop an ambition and make it your goal every day of your life. One day at a time to please God. Because when you do that, you're always mindful of him. You always remind yourself, Lord, I want to do everything that pleases you. And Lord, if I don't, if I forget, remind me. Show me, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit move through me. Let me be the vehicle that you want to use to take me as far as you want to take me. Let me not be that vehicle that stalls and sputters. Let me not be that vehicle that that doesn't start. Let me not be that vehicle that goes a certain way and then stops. I want to be a vehicle that goes all the way. I want to be a vehicle that you want to use, that pleasing to you, that obeys you, that's completely dedicated to you, and to be all that you want me to be. But I don't want you to be a church that if I was to ask this question, how many of you believe that God is pleased with you? I want every hand to go up. It says, I know that God is pleased with me because I do always those things that please him. That is the testimony that I want for all of you so that when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we'll hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think that will be greater than any reward that he can offer just to hear those words. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, that you're able to bring us to a place, Lord, that we can live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to you. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for, the, for, for equipping us and working in us and enabling us to do everything that pleases you. Father, help us to be focused. Lord, help us, Lord, to be ambitious. Lord, let there be a burning desire in our hearts to please you, Father, and do, do your will, Father God. Father, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, Father God. We, we want you to be a part of our lives. We want to do all that you want us to do. We want to offer ourselves to you, Father God, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Father, we want to be a vehicle that works, a vehicle that runs, a vehicle, Lord God, that you can take as far as you want us to take us. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that tonight will be a night, Lord God, where we dedicate our lives our hearts, our bodies, and our spirit to you, Lord God, to do your will, to do all that pleases you because you've created us for your pleasure. So, Lord, everything that we do in life will be pleasing to you. Father, we want to make you happy. Father, we want to love on you. Lord, Lord, we we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we ask that you help us. Bring us to that place, Lord God. Show us how we can can please you. Show us how we can make you happy. Show us how we can make you smile. 
Father, I thank you for the grace that you've given to us to enable us to be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, I pray for all those, Lord, who are here tonight who may not be at that place. But Father, I pray that tonight's message will challenge them and stir their hearts and bring them to that place of dedication. Father, your word says this, this body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And a temple is a place that is sacred, a, a place of holiness, a personal dwelling place for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit will do a mighty work in their hearts. Lord, bring us to that place where we're well-pleasing to you in every area of our lives, in our thoughts, our actions, everything, Lord. Let us always do the things that please you. And we ask this, Father, in your precious Son's name.